We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Blue wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. The Giants offseason continues to roll forward. Nothing crazy yet. The deadline, or I should say, the opening before the deadline for franchise tag players has just begun upon recording this so we will start to see some players flow in that we expect to be free agents i'm not sure the giants will use the franchise tag on any player i doubt they'll go back to back years on leonard williams and dalvin tomlinson may while may seem like a tag i feel like just because of the fact that he's been with the franchise for four years and it would kind of seem like a slap in the face to go out and sign Leonard Williams to a near $20 million per year contract if they then went ahead and slapped the tag on Tomlinson. I feel like it's a bit unlikely, but I'd keep an eye on that one. But coming up, we'll have 
free agency news we'll have reaction to potential rumors for the giants and anything that transpires we're also going to plan to take a little step in a different direction from a draft standpoint and do a couple different series on scenarios that could play out at 11 and 42 making the case for specific positions specific players and things of that nature but for now at this stage of the offseason we're going to continue to roll forward with some draft profiles that you guys can hopefully utilize to get a better idea of prospects that might be on the giants radar and a variety of their picks in this class so tonight we are going to profile patrick sertan the cornerback out of bama a player who most believe is in play for the giants potentially at 11 considering the fact that not necessarily is cornerback the biggest need in some people's minds i believe another number one type cornerback can really take this defense to the next level so for me it's a bigger need than others and because he's viewed by most as a clear-cut top 15 prospect in this class maybe not top five because of the speed which we'll get to but a top 15 prospect so patrick sertan son of three-time pro bowler patrick sertan senior six foot two 202 excellent length excellent length and an excellent frame before we get into anything more nick i want you to give your general overview of sertan and then maybe touch on some strengths that you like in his game yeah some strengths dan i mean not many players will step into a powerhouse like alabama and start as a true freshman for nick saban but sertan did so at a very proficient level. And he's one of the more NFL-ready cornerbacks to come through the draft in quite a while. He's very technically sound, disciplined at the line of scrimmage, executes good timing with his jam press, great spatial awareness in the short to intermediate parts of the field, footwork at the line and angles up the stem and on breaks are always excellent. He's just never really out of position and always seems to be in phase with the receiver. Brings a lot of disruptiveness to the catch point, plays through receivers, which I really like. He's a good athlete, not a great one, but good. He has fluid hips, can change direction, and he's also very instinctual. There's really nothing that he hasn't seen at the college level either because so many you just see so many of these SEC teams, they throw so much at him. He's been starting since he was a true freshman. He's just incredibly experienced and smart. And what are teams looking for these days, Dan? We know Patrick Graham's looking for long, big, physical corners who can A, play the run, and B, play man coverage. Shertan can do both of those things exceptionally well. There's a reason why he's going to be a top 15 pick, and it's because he's a damn good football player. Yeah, no doubt about it. Before we touch on maybe some weaknesses, I do want to kind of pick apart some of the things you mentioned in those strengths, and I want to start with the fact that he did start as a true freshman in Nick Saban's defense. That takes a lot for a number of factors. One, Alabama defenses are loaded with five-star recruits. They're loaded with talented players, both in the secondary and really across the board. Two, Nick Saban is a demanding coach. His defense is a demanding defense. And the fact that Sertan could step right in and play right away speaks volumes, I think, to what you said from the stance that he's very technically sound. He's disciplined at the line of scrimmage, like you said. And I think in general, that could come from A, the fact that he has the NFL pedigree with his dad. I mean, you got to understand something. Why do I like these pedigree players? And I'm a big fan of pedigree players because one, they had the coaching their entire life especially when it's this type of situation where it's the same position. Sertan's dad, Sertan's father was a corner, and now he's a corner. Two, they had, quite frankly, let's be honest about it, the money. They grew up with money, and they grew up with resources to help you become not only a better football player, a stronger, you know, a better person, a better, and this is, you know, it's a harsh reality, but it's the truth. Three, you're growing up with all the right nutrition. You're growing up with all the right, uh, you know, situations to help yourself become a better athlete. 
not only a better football player, but a better athlete. And so all of that combined, I think, played into a role. And I think, I'll say this, and we'll see if you agree with this, I think Joe Judge specifically, not only due to his connections to Bama, but is going to like a player that can start right away as a true freshman in Nick Saban's defense and be fine out there, not be a liability. Yeah, especially one who is as hard-nosed as Patrick Sertan II, who will stick his nose into the run, who knows how to stack shed stock blocks from wide receivers, disengage, and then make a play, a tackle for a loss. Those are huge momentum-swinging, drive-ending type of plays when cornerbacks can really step up and run support. And you already kind of pointed out Joe Judge's link to Alabama. We know Dave Gettleman has an affinity for SEC schools as well. So there's a lot of linkage between Patrick Sertan II and the New York Giants that make a lot of sense. Yeah, without a doubt, Nick. Now, I want to talk about one thing that you mentioned in your intro of some of the strengths, the overall overview of what you liked about Sertan. And that's, you said he brings a lot of disruptiveness to the catch point, and he plays through receivers. Can you break down for the listeners who might not know what that means, what it means to play through receivers? Yeah, when I say play through receivers, that means... Depending on whatever route it is, say it's a horizontal cross, Sertan is going to be in phase. He'll be riding the outside hip, say, on top of the horizontal cross. When the throw happens, he times the he times his hand going through the catch point in an ideal manner, I guess you could say. He uses his hand to swat once the ball arrives, so he's not really getting a lot of PIs in those types of situations. Now, weakness and something I'll bring up a little bit later, I saw he got a little bit grabby on curls and things like that. Deep comebacks, he can tend to grab if it... If he doesn't anticipate the curl happening, that's something I saw. But on those crossers and things like that, he really gets his hand into the catch point and disrupts the receiver's ability to just make a catch cleanly. Yeah, it's really interesting. And then talk a little bit about what you mean by his discipline at the line of scrimmage because that's something I've seen come up. That's something I noticed, and it's something that I think everybody who watches Sertan notices. Yeah, his discipline at the line of scrimmage, essentially it just means he does not commit his hips in one direction until he's certain that the receiver is committing. He's not going to fall for those subtle little head fakes, those subtle shoulder turns. He's not going to false step with his inside foot, putting him out of position and putting his hips in an uneven manner. He's basically going to inch back like he's supposed to, trust his technique, watch what the receiver is doing, and then once the receiver commits is when he commits. So he's not doing any false steps. He's not committing his hips prematurely, or when he jams, he's not being inefficient at those jams. He's always on target. He's disruptive of the snap. He can jam and he can ride and then ride the receiver off the red line, which is the line, it's a theoretical line between the numbers and the sideline that receivers always try to hold because receivers want to give the quarterback space between the numbers and the sideline for them to put a pass over the top so they can catch it uh, between the sidelines. The red line is something between the numbers and the sidelines that is theoretical that receivers attempt to ride and then use a sideline as their friend, squeeze that receiver off that red line and towards the sideline so there's no space for them to make those really tough contested catches over the shoulder. Yeah, and I think they all really work in conjunction with each other. He's super confident in his technique because his technique is really practiced and sound because he learned it the right way. And with all that in mind, he may not necessarily, in my mind, always need that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And he has it, by the way. It's not to say he's not a superb athlete. He just may not be the best straight line runner in this class. He's certainly not. But I'm not sure. I'm not necessarily sure he needs it. James Bradbury is not a really fast straight line runner. That was one of the reasons why many people thought, and eh, maybe the Giants weren't getting the best. They were kind of getting second rate behind Byron Jones in that free agent class. Ultimately, he ended up having a better season than Jones, and he looked last year in Patrick Graham's system like one of the five best corners. And we'll talk a little bit later about how he might fit in Patrick Graham's system because that to me is super intriguing. But before we do that, I want to touch on some weaknesses in Sertan's game. But before we do that, I want to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Nick. Let's talk weaknesses in Sertan's game, because obviously, if he didn't have any, he'd be viewed as an easy top five prospect. Yeah, so there's not many weaknesses to his game. I think you can be a little nitpicky, though, because there aren't ideal prospects just walking around like you just alluded to. But one that is talked about a lot, and it's also evident on his film, is his lack of deep speed. Sertan, he's just not the fastest corner, and I think it's a fair knock against him. However, I think he makes up for this inefficiency with just positioning angles and overall intelligence i mean he's not a four six guy he's just not going to be a four three five type of guy probably going to run somewhere in the low four fives which is respectable it's not overly sexy when you're talking about these top cornerbacks another thing though that i noticed on the film i don't think this is a huge issue but i saw it come up a couple times it's his downfield ball skills when his back is to the receiver i think he could feel the receiver a bit better in these types of situations a lot of the times he's using the technique of playing inside out instead of outside in in these situations and we've talked about those kind of techniques on this podcast before i believe it was on the jc horn podcast playing inside out doesn't really allow you to have the eyes that you need on the receiver it can create tunnel vision and tennessee's josh palmer and a favorite of yours dan florida's trevon grimes one deep downfield against Sertan in these situations. It's something that can possibly be coached out of him. I don't think it's a huge deal, but it's just something I wanted to acknowledge because I saw it come up a couple times on his film. The one with Trevon Grimes, uh, he was you know playing the technique that way, and he didn't feel Trevon Grimes come back underneath and then jump in front of him, and Sertan's momentum kind of took him over the top of where the catch point was going to be. Grimes made an excellent play to undercut him and not allow Sertan to get it. If Sertan was playing the technique the other way, he would have been able to kind of get his hands legally on Trevon Grimes and not necessarily allow him. He would have had a better feel for that position. And I know Patrick Graham likes the outside-in type of technique as well, but it also depends on where you are in the field and a bunch of other different types of things. Again, I don't think it's a huge deal. It can be coached out of him, but I just wanted to bring it up. And like I said before, he gets a bit grabby on quick curls and stuff at the top of the breaks. I think I'm being a little anal retentive here, 
but because because I really think this prospect is really really good. But I do want to just acknowledge those little like just uh, nitpicky things that I noticed. I think you've got to be the first person I've I've heard use anal retentive in years, if not ever. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever, that's been part of anyone's vocabulary I've ever discussed <laughs> prospects or anything with. But I kind of like it, anal retentive. So. Hopefully uh, nobody's mind's in the gutter and doesn't go in a weird direction with that one. But let's talk a little bit about what you just said and your breakdown of some of his weaknesses. I'm far, far, far less concerned with what the time speed will be. I mean, you've got some of the best corners in the league right now who ran pretty poor 40s. James Bradbury, 4.47. That's kind of the range I, I expect Sertan to run in. Even if he runs a little higher, let's say, in the four fives. And by the way, we're not going to get any of these times because there is no combine. And, and I don't know if any of you guys saw this on Twitter, but a recent study came out and just showed how big of a joke 40 times and all these testing times at pro days are. The pro days are inc- incredibly influenced by the people who are keeping those times, and those people are part of the programs, and so they want to make their prospects look as good as possible. So basically, if to throw out any of the numbers, you'll read at the pro day. But even if he were to be time certain and say he runs in the low four fives, I'm not scared off of that either because Zaven Howard, who's one of the best corners in the NFL right now, ran a 4.58 at the combine, and that's partially one of the biggest reasons why he fell into the second round. And even at that point, a lot of people, when Dolphins made that pick, were like, this is a terrible pick. How can you take a guy who ran a 4.58 in the early part of the second round? Well, they were all wrong. He's one of the better corners in the NFL. So I think I'm far less concerned with that than what you brought up secondly, which is kind of some of his ability not in contested cap, but kind of uh, ability to adjust the balls in air and, and things of that nature. Now, I know you said it's not something you see as a major issue. It's more of a nitpick here, and we're looking for weaknesses and nitpicks. Obviously, we're not looking at, you know, the next Daryl Rivas here, I don't think, with Sertan, but it's something definitely to consider. I have a few questions I wanted to dive into specific to Sertan that I think could kind of get better, uh, give the listeners a better feel for if he might be the pick for the Giants at 11 if he might be available to another spot, which I don't think he will be, but maybe if he could be a target for the Giants. Before that, I do want to give a little bit more background on Sertan. In addition to being the son of Patrick Sertan Sr., the three-time Pro Bowler, he was also a consensus five-star. He had offers from Clemson, LSU, basically every big school. They knew him. They wanted him. And in addition to that, he was highly uber-productive at Bama. He never allowed more than 65 yards in a single game, and that's according to Pro Football Focus. That's just incredible when you consider the fact that he was matching up against SEC offenses and playing college football the best of the best, what college football has to offer. So I would ask you this, Nick, to start, would you say that Sertan has been, I'll say this, have you seen a more technically sound and technically advanced cornerback so far in your studies than Sertan, and how would he compare in that regard to cornerbacks that you've studied over the last three or four seasons since getting deep into the nitty-gritty of draft season? Honestly, I don't know if I've seen someone as technically sound. Now, I haven't studied every cornerback in a lot of the more recent drafts because when I was with ITP, I would just be relegated to like the edge position, so I'd really focus a lot, and I'd be doing like Division two edge guys and stuff like that. So uh, there could be other ones that were a little bit more technically sound that I may have overlooked or just did not get my eyes on. But in this class, from everything I've seen, he's definitely the most technically sound. That's the name of his game. I would say that's definitely his calling card is just he's fundamentally based. Now, that's not a knock at all. And I think a lot of people, you know, it's like, yeah, we question his athletic ability, but we're questioning his athletic ability relative to what a top 10 prospect usually is. It's not oh, this guy's not a good athlete. Like, Patrick Sertan II is a good athlete. He's just not going to be an elite type of athlete 
at the NFL level. He's still going to be a good athlete. But as far as technique is concerned, he's already up to speed on a lot of this type of stuff, especially near the line of scrimmage and up the stem. Again, my little concerns that I saw just on a couple deep balls, like you just said, he didn't give up over 65 yards. Those are on a couple deep balls where he just misjudged and was maybe a little bit just didn't jump at the right time. I don't think it's a huge problem because he also made other plays on the ball down the field, but it's stuff that I still feel like had to be acknowledged. But as far as technically sound, I mean, yes, in this class, he's the most technically sound that I've seen. And to me, that is an incredible trait. That's something I would personally put ahead of time, speed, 40-yard dash, you know, at natural athleticism. The fact that, like you said, he doesn't have many false steps. He's really good at the line of scrimmage. It's so important at the next level, I think. But I have a question for you with regards to that speed. It's easy to say at the college level it wasn't much of an issue for Sertan. Like we said, he never had a game where he allowed more than 65 yards, and he played some of the best competition. But as they make that jump, as we make that jump, do you see any matchup issues for Sertan on the outside due to his straight line speed? I mean, going up against someone like Tyreek Hill might be a little bit fun for someone like Patrick Sertan, but you could say that about every other cornerback in the league. So I think I'd be somewhat nitpicky. Yeah, he's going to still have to learn the nuance of defending NFL wide receivers as opposed to college wide receivers and there's always a transition period between uh, these younger cornerbacks coming in the league but at the same time I think he's going to uh, take those lumps early on he'll get used to it he's not going to be like his former teammate Trevon Diggs who came in the league and just did not have a great start whatsoever if he does start a little bit rocky he's going to come out of it and I think he'll be a good overall player in the league Okay, interesting. Ceiling for you would be more of good or elite cornerback? I'm not going to rule out elite. I wouldn't rule that out. I mean, I still think he's, what, 22, 21 years old right now. So could he still grow in areas of his game? Yes. Could he fix some of those little problems that I saw on tape? Absolutely. Can he get more explosive and athletic? That's probably somewhat out of the question. I guess you can work on that a little bit with elite types of trainers, but somebody that Patrick Sertan II has had his entire life anyways. So elite, could he be that? Yes. I wouldn't fully rule that out. I don't really have a reason to fully rule that out, but as of right now, I just think he, I would put him as he's going to be a good starting quarterback in the league. Yes, Sertan's actually only 20 years old, which I actually like a lot. I'm a big Mm. fan of age when it comes to evaluating prospects I think not only from the sense that if you're an older prospect you were dominating younger guys especially some true freshmen who are only 17 18 19 years old but also from the fact that you have more to develop both as an athlete and as the football player I think I see potential for him to be not maybe the most elite corner but one of the better corners in the NFL I'm not a big believer in time speed straight line speed as a major factor for corner it's a bigger factor than it is for running backs of course and some other positions like defensive end but but i think you described it best earlier when breaking down his strengths nick if you have a cornerback who can handle a receiver's outside release when that receiver's attempting to stack and win vertically just due to technique and not speed that's a win and that ability limits wide receiver space and like you said it rides them off the red line and toward the sideline so they don't have catch radius they don't have the same angle to make those big plays and I think that's a lot of what we see with James Bradbury James Bradbury is not a burner on the field and yet he's able to do that consistently and James Bradbury is also just incredibly instinctual and the thing that I even saw and that's in, yeah. oh yeah absolutely the thing that I saw on James Bradbury's tape too when back when he was at Carolina 
was his ability to play zone and just read, react, and attack on everything underneath and just the understanding of route concepts. Now, Alabama runs a lot of man coverage, but you can also see that Sertan was so comfortable with what he was doing. He would come off routes at times and, and cheat towards other ones, just baiting quarterback's eyes whenever he was in zone to try to bait a throw, and then he'd break to the catch point, be disruptive, or try to get an interception out of it. And those are like the little things from a mental standpoint you're looking for on tape. You want him to put stress on that quarterback and kind of have the upper hand on the quarterback. He had that at the collegiate level, and that's definitely a starting point for his NFL career. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Nick, and it's really exciting. I want to turn the conversation a little bit to how he might fit if the Giants were to take him. So I do want to start there. He did have 662 snaps in press coverage over just the last two seasons. That's a whole lot of snaps in press coverage. Like you said, Bama plays a lot of man. Bama plays a lot of press. That was 199 more snaps in press coverage, press man coverage, than any corner in the class. So how do you think that would fit into what Patrick Graham wants to do? Would we see more press coverage and man coverage if the Giants were to add a player like Sertan literally immediately after adding a player like that? I do believe so. I mean, like we mentioned several times on this podcast, Patrick Graham ran a lot of press man at Miami with Brian Flores and he comes to the Giants you see a lot more zone after that Pittsburgh Steelers week one loss and that's because of personnel I feel I think if you secure that cornerback two spot and you give Patrick Graham the ability and the confidence to run more man coverage concepts you're going to see more man coverage concepts and I think Patrick Sertan allows Patrick Graham to do that because we saw it at Alabama we saw it against some of the top collegiate skilled players and all these sec wide receivers so why couldn't he do that in the nfl i think again there's going to be a transition period of course but i really think that it would allow patrick graham to do what he wants to do with the new york giants yeah and it's interesting if they were to draft a player like Sam, we've been saying all offseason the next level the next evolution for this Patrick Graham defense is the ability for him to mix in more men and like we even saw at the end of the season he started to do it a little bit more even though he didn't necessarily have the personnel at cornerback too he still started to mix it in a little bit more and I actually think Darnay Holmes is a nice fit for it my question for you is if the Giants were to mix in more man coverage we believe that would be a nice factor for them to become a more dynamic defense how do you think that would impact James Bradbury though who seems like maybe a better fit for zone coverage I think James Bradbury will be fine in man coverage, to be honest. Yeah, again, he doesn't have that deep speed, but he's always in phase. He's not fooled. He's a very disciplined cornerback as well. Very, very smart. Plays with a high football IQ. And again, he also has that quick, short area quickness where he could just plant his foot Mm -hmm. and explode towards the catch point. He showed that several times all throughout the year. So I'm not worried about James Bradbury transitioning to a more man-based type of defense. And that leads me, I guess, to my next question with Sertan, because there has been some concern about his short area quickness and change of direction ability. Do those traits concern you at all? Not necessarily based on what you saw at Bama, but based on what you projected the next level. Because, again, the competition is high at the SEC. There's no doubt about it. That competition level is big time, but it's not NFL level. No, it's not. But I think those are analysts being a little bit nitpicky about Sertan. Like, I don't think it's change of direction is terrible now is he the most fluid cornerback i've ever seen no i wouldn't say he's the most fluid but i don't think it's something that's going to be a hindrance towards his nfl career i still think he could change direction well for an nfl prospect i don't think it's adequate or marginal i think it's well i think it's good so i think it's not going to be a huge issue for him and then as far as short area quickness goes in relation to maybe man coverage is that something you also think is fine for Sertan projecting the next level no I do yeah I think it's fine as well I think he could plant and he can explode and he has some quick twitch to him he's not the most twitchy kind of cornerback no but I still think that he's not going to be a liability in that sense 
All right, Nick, let's talk a little bit about another thing that analysts believe, or at least I've heard before, and some say the best ability is availability. And Sertan has logged, what, 1,536 <laughs> coverage snaps in the past three seasons. That's absolutely absurd. That's more snaps and coverage than any cornerback. What do you make of this? Does this something that gives you more confidence in drafting a player like this? How do, Does this mean nothing to you? What does this mean to you? No, it means a lot to me. I want to see somebody who's going to be on the football field, somebody who's reliable, somebody who's trusted. And Patrick Sertan was that from one of the most demanding college football coaches that college football has ever seen in Nick Saban, somebody who runs a lot of NFL-style type of concepts. It's not as simple as, you know, oh, you're just playing man coverage. Oh, you're just playing zone coverage. There's a lot of different rules that go into that. And Sertan handled that as a true freshman. That speaks volumes to the kid's intelligence and the kid's character as, as a football player. Yeah, I'm completely on board. I not only am excited about the fact that he played as a true freshman at defense, I do think it means something to have that kind of availability and ability not only to, because let's be honest, we don't know this for sure. We're not in that locker room. We're not covering the Bama team as beat writers. I'm sure he's played through a, a few a few injuries there at Bama, and that means a lot to me too. The fact that he's willing to gut it out and play through those injuries and come out for that Bama defense every day they can rely on him, every single day. Not only can they rely on him, not only does he have that on his resume, those 1,536 covers that's more in the corner, he also has never allowed one 65 yards in a game. So it's the production matched with the availability. So this is a big, big selling point for me to Zertan. But on that note, let's turn this to a bigger picture. Let's turn the conversation to maybe a bigger picture view. And let's start with this. Patrick Zertan, Giants are on the board at 11. What do you think? Do you like him at 11? Yeah, I would be happy if the Giants selected him at 11. Could you go in other directions? Could you go with a skill position? Could you off, uh, upgrade the offensive line? I think all of those. Could you even go with a linebacker, an edge? I think all of those have a lot of merit and should be investigated. But if it is Patrick Sertan, I'm not going to throw a fuss about it because this is a damn good football player. It helps secure one of the more secondary, I think, needs that we talk about, but a very, very important one in a passing league. And it also helps run support because you're not getting a C.J. Henderson for the kid from Florida last year who was good in man coverage but didn't want to tackle a soul. You're getting somebody who didn't miss a tackle in 2020. You're getting somebody who consistently comes up and run support and makes good, hard-nosed tackles. And I know Joe Judge is going to value that. So I would be happy with him at 11. Yeah, and for me, on, on my, um, from my point of view, I would be happy with the pick. I don't know if he'll be my number one choice. I don't know if he'll be my number one choice when they get to the pick at 11, depending on who's there. But I think it's a very high floor pick with high ceiling mixed in. I don't think it's only a high floor pick. I think some picks in this draft are simply only high floor picks. I think some picks in this draft are simply only high ceiling picks. But I think this could be a high floor with a pretty solid size ceiling. I honestly think that's a great way to explain it right there, Dan, because this is an incredibly high. Like, I don't think Sertan's going to go into the league and bust. Like, it doesn't seem like it's something that's going to happen. But can he reach that ceiling? I think that's up for debate. But either way, I think he's going to come in and be a good football player. So I think that was an excellent way to articulate that, bud. And not only that, I think that he would be exactly what the Giants kind of want, it seems like, or at least what Dave Gettleman wants, it seems like, which is a player who will contribute immediately. Yeah, and he's long, he's experienienced, he, he has can a tackle. ton of snaps, he can tackle, he's physical. Those are all Dave Gettleman's yes. just, yes, Dave yes. Gettleman's just getting excited right now. Some, just thinking about it. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere. He will, without a doubt, in my mind, we should start putting, mixing this in too, because I like this. Where do you think Dave, what do you think Dave Gettleman thinks of him? And I think he's got checks almost every box that Dave Gettleman likes. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a box that he wouldn't check. The only one would be he wasn't a senior, but he still has all the experience in the world. <laughs> so. Yeah, he wasn't a senior, but with the exception of that, he really checks all the boxes, it seems, for what the Giants have liked 
during the Gettleman era. Now, I will ask you this. Do you think the Giants can potentially trade back and get him, or is he a player you wouldn't want to risk trading back? Honestly, right now, it's still early in this process. Anything can happen. Sertan might go before 11, so I don't think they could risk trading back, to be honest, because there are some cornerback needy teams. Two of them are in the Giants division who are picking above the Giants in Dallas and Philadelphia. I wouldn't be shocked if either of those teams went in that direction, but I think Philly needs quite a bit, as does Dallas, so I think there are a lot of options for them. Patrick Sertan's a good football player. People are looking for good football players, and I think the pedigree also means something too. The fact that his father was in the league for 10 years and was very, very successful. I think that's going to weigh into it as well as obviously Sertan's tape, just what he put at Alabama with Nick Saban. Nick Saban has so many ties in the NFL. So there's a lot of things that lead one to believe that this is a pick that a general manager is going to look at and be like, I'm not going to get fired over this pick and it's probably going to work out and it will upgrade and help our team. So let's do it. Yeah. And I think you could make a case that with the exception of the Baltimore Ravens, maybe the Los Angeles Rams, and the Miami Dolphins, every single team in the NFL is a quarter is a cornerback needy team. Coverage is more important now than it's ever been. And if you have deficiencies at the cornerback position, you will get exposed. And if you give up passing plays, you lose football games. This is no matter what people say, this game is won and lost with chunk passing plays, red zone passing, and just overall passing touchdowns. So I'm excited about Sertan. For me, given the depth of talent. And also the fact that a lot of these players that could be there on the board at 11 are at positions the Giants really need, Micah Parsons, any of the four big four receivers. And when I say that, I include Kyle Pitts in that. Sertan, Farley, potentially even, you know, a Slater, if you like him, or the kid from USC who everybody seems to love. Some people say he's the number two offensive lineman in this class. Elijah Barrett Tucker? He's a a good football player. He's a damn good football player, and a lot of people like him maybe Rousseau I mean there's a lot of prospects so for me I'm not certain that I'd be sold that I'd be consider Sertan if he's on the board as a must not trade back type prospect I don't know if I really think anybody who will be on the board for the Giants at 11 unless somehow Seawall falls to them that's pretty much my only must draft prospect if Seawall falls to 11 you're damn right I'm running to the fucking podium and drafting him to be the net to be their offensive tackle alongside Andrew Thomas I don't even care about Matt Perr try to make him guard or have him as a swing tackle it really doesn't matter figure it out kind of thing. figure it out kind of thing but for me I probably am a little less hesitant to trade back I will also ask you this as far as Sertan a little more of another 30,000 foot view question we did talk about how what the Giants could like about him is that he can come in and immediately step in and impact having said that there has been some recent struggles from early drafted cornerbacks in the NFL obviously Jeffrey Okuda wasn't what they wanted him to be CJ Henderson was up and down it seems like it's a position kind of like offensive tackle that takes some time to adjust to at the next level um sometimes you know you might just not have it at you had it at the college level you don't have it at the nfl we don't think sertan's that type of player but there could still be an adjustment player adjustment period i'm sorry even if he is eventually a very good football player does that scare you at all from investing such a high capital draft pick at the cornerback position i wouldn't say it scares me i think it just kind of comes with the territory rarely do you ever see a cornerback step into the nfl and dominate because there's such a difference in how wide receivers in the NFL who have been doing it for so many damn years, how they run routes and how college. And it's more of an adjustment period. You learn as you kind of learn and you make mistakes and you grow as you play throughout your rookie season. So I don't think it scares me away, especially for someone who, like you said, has that high floor, but yet still could have a high ceiling, someone like Patrick Sertan. So I wouldn't say it scares me. Yeah, that's excellent, Nick. And I think I'm on board with you as well there. I would just maybe say this is 
uh, everybody should exercise a little bit of caution potentially if Sertan is the pick and if he struggles a bit at first because that's just natural for corners making that jump to the NFL level. I'm not necessarily saying that would be the case, though, because I think he could be an immediately awesome fit, not only for the Giants but for any NFL team. I am very high on Sertan. All right, let's wrap up there on Sertan. We'll wrap up with a couple questions we've got from the listeners. We'll start with a question that came in on the iTunes because guess what? If you leave us a rating and review on iTunes, you will always get that question answered. All you got to do is put a question in there. I, all we want is five stars. We're shilling out for the five-star reviews. We don't care. We're not. We're shameless with this thing. We want to get to 500, and we're only at 478. We need to step our game up on the reviews. I know most of you who are listening to this have been like, are probably sitting there thinking, Dan, what the hell, man? I already left you a rating on review. And for those of you, thank you very much. You're helping us grow. For those of you who haven't, maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's you don't have iTunes. Maybe it's... I'm sick and tired of Dan asking me to do this. I'll ask you this. All you have to do is provide us that rating and review, and we will continue to pour out our hearts and souls into this draft process, the free agency, into the Giants football. That's all we'll ask for. That's all we'll ever ask for, and I think that's not too much to ask for. So thank you to all of you who have done it. This one comes from Lumby1203. He says, middle linebacker, it's your guy Columbus again. Great podcast as always. My question is about the other linebacker spot next to Blake Martinez. Tate Crowder was a great surprise in production last season, and we saw Carter Coughlin line up there a couple times. I get the Micah Parsons possible draft pick at 11 thing, but I feel a combo of Crowder, Coughlin, with an offseason to get bigger and stronger will be more than enough at the number two inside backer position. What is your opinion? I think there's merit to that for sure. I think he can be more than enough, but at the same time, I think it's still a position that you may look to upgrade. And when you're talking about someone like Micah Parsons or Zayvon Collins, who will be going over here sometime in the next couple days, that upgrade would be so significant to the defense and what I feel like Patrick Graham probably wants to do. Like You got to think about where Patrick Graham's roots are. They're rooted in New England. What does New England always have? They have these multi-dimensional linebackers who can drop in coverage, who can blitz, guys like Kyle Van Noy, guys like Dante Hightower, and Tay Crowder, I think he is a solid linebacker, but I don't think he's going to be a difference-making linebacker, whereas Micah Parsons would step in next to Blake Martinez, and it would be a huge difference-making type of player at the second level who's not only going to make a difference just in stopping the run or covering the pass with his athletic ability, but also as a blitzer, creating pressure, and getting after the quarterback, which I feel like is very, very important. I don't think Tay Crowder necessarily has that within his skill set to do that at the level that the Giants may want. But do you want to allocate your resources that way? And that's kind of the big question. So that's kind of how I wouldn't go over that. Yeah, it's an interesting question, Columbus, and I think it's an interesting overall, I guess, what's the best word for this decision the Giants are going to have to make because they may feel like they already have it. I personally am never shy and never going to be shy of adding talent at the second level. I believe the second level plays a much bigger factor in wins and losses than it seems like the NFL does, and it seems like the Giants have prior to the Dave Gettleman years. I actually give Gettleman credit. He's been a little bit new age with his second level players. He's been adding more athleticism there, more speed there, things that we like. I think personally a player like Parsons could potentially take this defense to the next level faster than anybody, faster than Sertan, unless Sertan comes in and is Daryl Revis in year one or James Bradbury in year one type of thing. And like me and Nick said earlier in this podcast, it's tougher for corners to make that immediate impact. 
I would say he might have a better chance than a Rousseau or a Pay, or Pay because ni- neither Nick or I kind of feel like they're elite edge guys who can be dominant one-on-one guys in year one. But a guy like Parsons who can blitz, who can cover in space, who can chase in pursuit, and who can play the run, he kind of adds a lot of different elements to help your defense right away. So I'm very excited about Parsons. He's very close to the top of my radar at 11. He may ultimately be my number one guy that I like at 11. That's how much I like Parsons. And I like the fact that the fact that Sean Spencer coached him and he may know him in more in depth and he may know what kind of impact he can make in this Joe Judge, I'm sorry, in this Patrick Graham defense and on this Joe Judge football team. So for me, I'm not banking totally on Crowder and Coughlin. I like them. I think they're okay. I think they're good fits for this specific system. And I think they're good system players, but neither is leading me to be hesitant about drafting a player at that position. We saw way too much David Mayo, Dan. That's the other thing. Depth is a huge factor. Depth is a huge thing, but it's also just the defense being in a certain personnel group and not having to adjust as much to what the offense wants to do. If you bring in someone like Micah Parsons, who can do a variety of different things. You could stay in your base personnel which your base personnel can end up being like a nickel type of defense if you just want to use those two linebackers bringing another defensive back and you're not losing that much because some of our defensive backs like Jabril Peppers Xavier McKinney are really really good against the run and then you have this linebacker who's not going to be a liability in coverage either so I think there are a lot of interesting reasons as to why adding Michael Parsons would be smart for the Giants but all comes down to how they want to allocate their resources and I'm honestly not sure right now that would be the best course of action but I'm not opposed to it either yeah, it's a really interesting debate. All right, this one comes from Just Some Dude on Twitter. He says, After cuts and restructures, the Giants should be able to make some moves in free agency. I completely agree with you, and I think they should 100% restructure and either extend or both Bradbury and Martinez. I think it should be priority number one. But anyway, would it be smartest to spend on edge rushers since they seem to be hard to find in the draft? I agree with that too. Or are there any free agents you like? I like Carl, Lars- uh, Carl Lawson from Cincy. And then my plan would be to draft a receiver. Smith or Waddle should be there. Love the drafting of Smith and Waddle. I think that's definitely an option. And I'm actually a big Carl Lawson fan as well. I mean, he seems like he's he dealt with all those injuries in college and through the draft process made him drop in the draft. But he's been very, very effective. Plays with excellent leverage, has strong hands, has a bunch of different pass rushing type of moves, and he knows how to get to the quarterback. I would not be opposed to adding someone like Carl Lawson, to be honest. I think there are a lot of other cheaper type of players as well that are going to be available who fit that outside linebacker edge type of role and then you have the more expensive ones like Matt Judon you have Yannick Ngakwe who we talked about it seemed like a nauseam last offseason Shaq Barrett's going to be available for more expensive guys so I'm not opposed to honestly signing Kyler Fackrell back bringing him back into the fold and possibly investing money into one of these type of guys maybe a Hassan Reddick or something like that but I think he's going to be looking to break the bank and you have the cap going down how's that going to be handled by a lot of these teams our team's going to be willing to take or I mean our player's going to be willing to take one year prove it type of deals in this weird type of offseason really bank on themselves if that's so I'd really love to go after some of these more high higher profile type guys yeah I love this question here and I think Ultimately, Carl Lawson is someone who both Nick and I really like, and I see a ton of upside. And the fact that he's only, what, 25 years old leads me to believe that there will be teams that view him as a high upside signing, someone who they will actually spend a lot of money on, similar to James Bradbury. Remember, James Bradbury got a deal that most felt was bigger than people expected last offseason when the Giants gave him. It paid off. I think that'll be the same case for Lawson. Who I might be looking at is somebody like Hassan Reddick, who Nick mentioned. I actually don't think he'll be able to break the bank because he has such 
limited sample size. I mean, he started to take that massive leap in his game once he played more on the edge. The Cardinals were literally playing a player they drafted out of position for the almost the entirety of his rookie deal. Just terrible coaching. Just unbelievably bad coaching. Now, to be fair, they've gone through like three different systems there on the defensive side of the ball since he was drafted. But the fact of the matter is, since he came over, he started to really take off. I'm sorry, since he moved over to the edge, he started to take off. So I see a lot of upside there. And he's a young player. I also would be intrigued by maybe taking a shot on a one-year deal if the market is slow for a Bud Dupree. You take a one-year prove it. Why can't the Giants be the team that takes a one-year prove it swing? It doesn't just have to be contenders that make that kind of decision. Now, also, another player who might intrigue me is Tyus Bowser, a player who comes from that Baltimore system. He's not going to get paid like a Judon. And somebody like Judon, by the way, I think could be just a system-based production guy. I'm very wary. I liked Judon. I put him on the list of guys that I would target. But after reading a little bit more, it seems like he is expecting and should be getting a massive deal. I'd rather take a swing on Bowser, who also played from Baltimore in a similar system there, uh, not only to what a similar system, I'm sorry, the same system as Baltimore, but also similar things to what Patrick Graham does. Baltimore is running not the same system as Graham, but there's some similarities, and I believe that could lead to a nice transition. Now, someone like Yannick, I'm completely out on. I've never been a fan of Yannick. I don't like how he looked in Baltimore. I don't like how he plays the run, and I think he's expecting a lot of money. Someone like Leonard Floyd, also out on Leonard Floyd, 29 years old, massive injury history. I can't give a massive contract to someone with a massive injury history. So as far as the edges go, I think it's a little bit of a deeper class than usual, but my targets would probably be closer to the Reddick, Lawson if possible, but if he breaks the bank, nope, I'm out. And then maybe potentially could the Giants be that type of team that takes a swing on a Bud Dupree. And not on cheaper guys. I, I think I wrote him up for Big Blue View. It would be Tano Passanio would be somebody just to consider just because I know Joe Judge and the Giants just in general put a – High precedent on length, as most people do in the NFL. And Passanio is not going to be someone who's going to come in and demand a big contract because his production has been really down with the Kansas City Chiefs, but he could be a good rotational player, someone that Patrick Graham can really use and then be a core special teams contributor, which is something I feel like Joe Judge also really values. So he's another name to just kind of monitor, I think. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's a little bit more of a talented edge class than usual, and there's some guys that could be decent value so i'm definitely intrigued to see if they take any swings there all right that's all the time we have for on tonight's show still a lot of questions we're going to get to on some coming podcasts if we didn't answer yours tonight we will be answering it shortly as always please do us a favor leave us a rating review make sure you subscribe to our podcast on itunes and download every podcast don't just hit listen please hit download also if you want more big blue banter content please follow us on instagram at ny big blue banter that's ny big blue banter. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.